to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Mission Impossible 2. IMF agent Ethan Hunt is sent to Sydney to find and destroy a genetically modified disease called Chimera. This movie sucks. <laughs> I couldn't even wait. I'm sorry. This movie's horrible and I hate it and I'm mad about life. It's not good. It's bad. I hate it so much. <laughs> you know, there's something about this movie where it is just completely the opposite of the tone of what this franchise was before it and is after it. That's true. <laughs> it is it is one of those situations where it is completely the odd the odd film out. It's like they weren't sure what to do. Because okay, because we're doing this series, it's no secret that we've seen this movie and we've seen a we've seen a good chunk of these films. But this one, this director is so the wrong guy for this franchise. It, he just is. He's the wrong guy for this franchise, and it's interesting because there are a confluence of reasons why this movie ended up the way it is. Mm-hmm. And while I believe that the director is the wrong guy, I also don't put all the blame on him especially after looking at the story of this film. Mm-hmm. This is everybody not knowing what the fuck they wanted to do. This is everybody knowing we have to follow up what we did last time and make it bigger and better. But none of them knew what that was supposed to look like. Yeah. And I think that's the bigger problem here. If it was just the director, we probably would have gotten around that. Like we would have had the same character feel from all of these actors, but it's wildly different characterizations. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ethan is a totally different character in this movie. I wouldn't go that far, but he is, his motivations feel completely bizarre. Everybody's do. Mm. And there's a big reason for that. I mean, fair, but it's just, the movie's weird. It's, it's incredibly weird. And because it's so incredibly weird, and it's so incredibly weird throughout the entire film, mm-hmm. by the end of it, you are exhausted with it true you're just frustrated by it because it feels completely out of date and out of place i would agree with that like don't get me wrong these action sequences in another movie Mm -hmm. that's like john woo's from top to bottom makes a lot of sense yeah but this isn't his movie no and this is also why john woo has pretty much had his biggest successes when it's his thing Hmm. He is that rare auteur of action cinema. Like, he has a very specific vision. And if you're making a franchise that needs consistency, this is not the guy to put at the helm. Because that that's not what he does. Well, the budget for this movie was $125 million. So they beefed it up 150%. Okay. U.S. gross, $215,400,000. Worldwide, it made $546 million. This was the highest grossing movie of 2000. Okay. So it made its money. Yes. Yes, it did. And I did see this in theaters. I don't, honestly, I don't remember if I did. I, I don't know if I did. I was so hyped on the first one by this point that I was like, I gotta go see this. And I did. And I remember at the time being distinctly a little confused and befuddled. And I would have been a teenager. Mm-hmm. So if I'm confused and befuddled, then what are you now? David? What am I now? <laughs> I didn't think you could make the movie even glossier 
mm-hmm. but they really did in this one. And at the expense of like the grittiness and intensity of the action. Yeah, they did. I'll agree with that statement. They they just tried things that didn't. Again, again it goes it goes back to our director. Our director's the problem. Like overall, the tone of this movie is let's tell an action film but through the lens of a love story. And then we have Anthony Hopkins, who I love him, but he's wasted. Oh my god. And who gives a shit and like nothing was done well, nothing, with the exception of the the mask. The mask was the only thing that they did that I thoroughly and they upped the ante on that. They added the voice thing, which they didn't have last time, and now we added to it that sometimes other agents impersonate each other, which adds a level of oh, this is gonna get complicated i'm here for that i love that aspect but otherwise i'm just who cares we say this way too often on this show it's trying to do way too many things at once agreed and i don't hate the framing of a of an action movie and a romance intertwining no you could make that work sure in fact this franchise makes it work in another film but this was the wrong way to go about it true and this is the purest example of style over substance, mm-hmm. which is which is interesting because, again, it really is that thing of I don't want to say it's necessarily bad because I think it's competently like the way it is filmed and the way we see sequences is competent. The action sequences at times are beautiful, but the edit is god awful. Well, this these aren't movies that are meant to be beautiful no they're supposed to be action films and that's not to say action films can't be beautiful please go see inception but this film is supposed to be a spy action thriller thriller being the operative word there's nothing fucking thrilling about this goddamn movie it is boring as hell it's not a shoot-em-up and that's what john woo does he elevates the shoot-em-up genre and I don't even need a shoot 'em up, but this is a boring ass film. It's so it, well, and you know what? That some of that goes to writing. Probably. There's a lot of exposition just shoved into the script. There is a lot of exposition happening, and I and there's no payoff to it. No. Which also super fucking boring. Uh, I, yeah, that that is an underrated part of this. That I don't know that there's a lot to work with on the page either. There's no excuse. There's too many people here with too much money. It should not be this boring. <laughs> There's no excuse. You're all fired. Well, the production was massively delayed by Eyes Wide Shut. They were supposed to start filming this in mid-1997, mm-hmm. but Cruise was then in London throughout that entire year and part of 98. Which we did cover Eyes Wide Shut as part of our previous Patreon, which is we have since closed. Sorry, y'all. It just became too much work for us to try to keep up with that. But yeah, we covered Eyes Wide Shut, so you can go find that in our feed. Stanley Kubrick strikes again! Fuck Stanley Kubrick. Um, <laughs> he's very much a contributing factor, factor to that divorce. <laughs> and, or, and just general mental illness, for sure. And this movie. Add to the pile. Fuck I'm, him. Yeah, seriously. He's way overrated. You know what? Let's just do that. Since we can't really decide who to lay the blame on, let's just say it's Stanley Kubrick's fault that this movie didn't wind up better. <laughs> it is a contributing factor when you think you're going to start making a movie in 1997 and then you're delayed by like a year and a half to two years. 
Yeah, but that's just the name of the game with Kubrick. Like, <sighs> you, if here's the thing. If you want to hire an actor and you see, oh, they're working with Stanley Kubrick, you're not going to see them again for a while. So you, I, you need to find another actor. You need to move on. And then Cruz and Wagner apparently wanted a lot more action because they thought the first movie lacked action. Okay, so this, again, this is a very common trope of action films. You you have a great first one. We got to up the ante with the second one. Sure, like, I don't have a problem with that. Like, we want more new film, more action. That's cool. But, like, it didn't lack action. Yeah, it, this is... This is the curse of using IMDb as notes is that somebody may have misinterpreted what they really meant there. Because that could have been an interview where they were like, we we really enjoyed the first one and the intensity of the first one, but we knew we had to up the ante for this movie. We needed to, we needed to have more action. And I will give them credit. They really did swing for the fences on how on what type of action sequences they were going to do. Sure. I'm not saying they were put together well when the final film came through. But the types of action things they did in this movie, setting them aside, are badass. That motorcycle crash and jump in the air is phenomenal. It's okay. <laughs> like, come on. Like... Just put it in another movie. It's a cool shot for another movie. Yes. There, there is no subterfuge or thriller in this movie, and that that is the problem. Yeah, and this film should constantly be moving us towards what's happening and also when we get to like and the girl that he's interested i don't care i don't fucking like i just there's nothing in this film you care about oh there's so much care there's so much and now (laughs) let's get into this really epic writing oh it's epic it's epically bad Uh there are too many names on this list that's not promising. Which is funny because the original movie had a lot of writers involved. Yeah. But, but, but it was in phases of the process. But for reasons. Exactly. This one, not so much. So, of course, Bruce Geller, the original creator of the TV show. Sure. Gets his credit. Then Ronald D. Moore gets a story credit along with Brandon Braga. Now, Ronald D. Moore was one of the main executive producers and writers on Star Trek The Next Generation. Braga was a staff writer on The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. They then both went on to work on the Star Trek movies. And Ronald D. Moore also created the new Battlestar Galactica, Caprica, and he created Outland. Okay. Brandon Braga, on the other hand, developed Flash Forward, Salem, and a new horror time travel show coming on Hulu called Books of Blood. Mm, TV guys. TV guys, yeah. This feels a little television-y. Well, okay. Too many twists. Yeah, I could see that being a little television-y. Yeah? Maybe maybe a few many, too many turns. I do like the turn where Tom Cruise is the blonde dude and the blonde dude is Tom Cruise. I do like that when he switched him and then he takes off the mask and he's got his mouth duct tape. Stop! Mumbling! Freddy's got no choice. I believe I break his jaw. <laughs> Stamp. I'm impressed. Which doesn't actually make sense for the construct of the mask, but I like it. It works. Double switching the masks and things like that. It's fun. Worked really well with this movie because it does keep you guessing in a fun way. But it's just that they they didn't lean into it enough. 
here's where they needed to have it happen. We needed another female and we needed we needed that to be another element of it. Yeah, the whole movie should have been who is who and kept us guessing through that front. Because mm-hmm. if they'd have leaned into that and kept the romance as a subplot instead of a main plot, I think this works a little better. Mm, maybe. <laughs> At least know. the thriller comes into it a bit more because I don't think there's a bad reason for having the romance there. We'll get into it. I, I think there was an, an idea and a kernel there, but they did not execute it at all. So those two guys get the story credit. Robert Town, who helped write the screenplay for the first one, gets the screenplay credit for this mm-hmm. movie. So I guess he took whatever was there and was like, I guess I'll put it together. Oh, okay. But then we've got a whole bunch of other writers that also passed hands on this script. We have Michael Tolkien, who wrote the player Deep Impact and the recent television show Escape at Danamora. Okay. We have Joe Esterhaus, who wrote Flashdance, Basic Instinct, and Showgirls. Oh, God. And we have Wesley Strick, who wrote Arachnophobia, 1991's remake of Cape Fear, and The Saint. Okay. Okay. That's too many writers. That's too many pass-throughs. Too many people touching this story. I just don't. There's just nothing interesting in there. Well, it it plays to there are too many story elements. Yes. Too many story elements, too many twists. And at that point, you've passed through five different writers before it finally goes to town to get its final polish. Yeah. That's too much. Agreed. And I don't know if it's just that they weren't confident in the script they got or they just weren't quite sure. But man, they were way hesitant on this movie. Unlike the first one where they had a clear through line and the people that they brought in after the last guy mm-hmm. improved upon the product they had. I agree with that. Somewhere it just went completely awry because this script is boring. It is boring. It's not that it's bad. I wouldn't say it's like terrible, but it is boring. <laughs> it is very boring. Town stated that most of the script was written around the action scenes that Wu wanted to direct for the film. That doesn't shock me that much. You have a guy who's known for his action styles. You're going to write around. Yeah, that's fair. The film was mostly finished about five days before shooting started, but Town was then flown out to continue rewriting the script, and that got resumed when the film got to the editing room. Oh, wow. We'll get into that a little bit later. Some of this has to do with the final edit. Okay. The script was not finalized until two weeks before the movie was released. Okay. So I'm saving this a little bit because it's going to come up in our director. Okay. There's some information that I don't have about how the final edit process of this movie went that makes me think that the final edit of this film was hacked to pieces Mm -hmm. from what might have been a competent but way overblown movie. Okay. Like... That seems possible. John Woo, for his part, actually loved the script. He was really wanting to bring a human element into the story. So that's why he wanted the love triangle. Okay, I'm fine with that. But it happened too fast. It happened so fast and it stays such a huge part of the plot when it should have been a subplot. Well, I'm fine with that being like a part of like he just goes so hard so fast and it's just like, dude, she could be playing you so easily and you've not even considered it. Yeah. And that's where I got annoyed. Well, and I wanted I wanted us to be second guessing her too yeah we should have a little bit because you have the bad guy second guessing her but you don't have Ethan second guessing her and 
even Luther's like, are you sure, dude? Because maybe this is not a great idea. And it's just like, come on. It's just bad. It's just bad. Oh, make this a full con triangle where sure. nobody knows who's playing who until much later in the movie. And then both du- wh- both white dudes are wearing masks. And one white dude is wearing two different kinds of masks. And it's just really fucking confusing. That's the best. Have you learned nothing from James Bond? God, Have you learned nothing? Clearly. Clearly they learned nothing. Who could have been better? Because there's another writer on this list. A lot of people. William Goldman wrote a script for the film that never got used. I love him. It would have been so much funnier because this movie is not funny at all. Yeah, but it would have been really different. Okay, good, because this movie's horrible. Okay, here's the thing about William Goldman. Proven funny man. Proven with handling romance well while preserving action and story. So while the action may have not been his forte, he would have been able to weave together action sequence, further this romance plot, also keep some funny and some snarky, which is especially in the uh, later installments of this series is very prevalent and very much appreciated. Yeah, is there. Like, you don't have to sacrifice the romance to get here. Well, and have Robert Town do the pass on William Goldman's script. Sure. I'm fine with all of that. Although William Goldman would probably throw a shit fit because that's William Goldman. May he rest in peace. <laughs> but have Robert Town go through and be like, cool, now I'm going to add back in all the thriller elements, which is what my forte is. Sure. Again, that's what I don't understand. Robert Town, you're amazing at writing thrillers. How did you not get this across? But again, that's going to bring us into our director mm. and some interesting trivia I think paints this a little differently. John Wu. John Wu is a Hong Kong cinema legend. He is a huge inspiration to action directors, especially nowadays. Before this, he did A Better Tomorrow and A Better Tomorrow 2. The Killer, Bullet in the Head, Hard Boiled, then comes to America with Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, yeah. And then does Broken Arrow and Face Off. After this... He directs Wind Talkers, Paycheck, and then goes back to Hong Kong to do Red Cliff, The Crossing, and the upcoming Septet, The Story of Hong Kong. You don't like his directing. It's crap. It's not crap. Okay, it is such shit for this movie. It is so bad. For what is supposed to be a taut spy action thriller, it is completely overwrought. It is completely the inappropriate tone and that is what i mean by saying it is so bad i i know i know because i've seen i've seen this guy i've seen hard boiled and i love hard boiled it's like die hard in hong kong with chow yun fat being an asshole adorable cop like he's amazing but not with this movie no it's just so bad and it's like we know he does good stuff. He did I know. face off for crying out loud. Which I have not seen. Which I also like knew watching this movie. was like, this movie feels like face off, which is a movie I've not seen. But I know enough about it to know this is face off. It's one of those things where you have to give him the most over the top bonker story for him to put his imprint on. And this is not that. And it sucks. Because it's one of those situations where it's like, you know, this guy is a competent and good director, but he is the wrong choice. And so you're just sitting there frustrated the whole time. Because they're like, no, how did you get it so wrong? 
Like, I know you're good at your job, but you did a bad job. I think that's the biggest thing with this movie. It's not so much the whole time that it's like, oh, this sucks. It's also the thing of like, on paper, this should be so much better. Why does it suck so much? Why is it not good? That's what's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every prior director in the series has been asked to return for the sequel, except for John Woo. Yep, because this movie didn't do very well, did it? Or critically, Uh, did not do very well. Critically, no. And, uh... I don't think they liked the final product. Now, I'm going to say this. From every story I've actually heard, John Woo seemed like a guy who was very reasonable and good to work with on set. Mm -hmm. Cared about actors. Didn't cause problems. Okay. So I don't think there was a problem with him making the movie. Mm. I think there were problems with what they got out. They weren't happy with the final product. Yeah. Which is fair. If they pay for one thing and they got another... It's fair to be like, "Mm, we're not having you back, dude. Sorry. However, Wu wasn't initially interested in taking on the film. Okay. He knew he had a very specific style, and he also knew that his style did not match Brian De Palma. True. So he told them as much. Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise was adamant in trying to get him. Of course he was. Cruise was adamant that he wanted John Wu's action touch because he wanted each movie to be its own, quote, episode of the series being stylistically different than the last. Okay, not the worst idea in the world. No. Like, I I like that idea of, well, we're going to kind of keep it in that TV vein of each of these, it's going to have its own feel. Yeah. And that's a neat idea to play with. That's fine. And Cruz was also a huge fan of Bruce Lee. Of course he is. Which really inspires that final fight scene between Hunt and Ambrose, which if you then think about it, you're like, oh yeah, this is Tom getting to pretend like he's Bruce Lee for a little while. I'm a big boy. <laughs> I know Kung Fu. Hi, yeah. <laughs> so Wu already comes in like, are y'all sure? Because like, I don't know. Okay, Tom Cruise wants me to do this movie. I'm not going to say no to the biggest action star in the universe. Yeah. Having just worked with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Yeah. An even bigger guy wants me to do this movie. I can't blame him. No, I understand all the reasons why he got this job. I get it. I wish you'd have gone with his gut, though. Yeah, no. This is a no. Andrew Lesney, the original cinematographer, left less than a month into shooting due to, quote, stylistic differences. Mm -hmm. Mainly, John Woo felt like Lesney could not keep up with his style. He uses multiple cameras and shots throughout the filming process. So apparently this guy didn't work fast enough, though. Lesney did all right for himself. He went on to be the director of photography for Peter Jackson and all of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies. Yeah, he's fine. So he did just fine. It was John Woo's idea to have Hunt and Hall hash out their new relationship over the phone in a car chase instead of in a room as was originally written. Thought it'd be less boring. Okay, it's fine. Woo's first cut of this movie was three and a half hours long. Now, that is wildly too long for a Mission Impossible movie. Correct. Like, you can't market that at all. So I don't blame them. Paramount rightfully balked, and they told him, you, it can't be more than two hours. Okay. So he starts hacking it apart. But that hacking apart is a pretty big explanation for the plot holes and continuity errors that pop up throughout the film. Hmm. That's the start of it. Oh. Then it got submitted to the MPAA, mm. and it got an R rating. Oh, and they're, yeah, they, they're PG-13 people. Because in addition to all this, John Woo makes really violent action movies. He does. I forget <laughs> I forget that, but yes, he does. So they had to trim 
all of the action sequences and violence way back to get the PG-13, eventually John Woo claims that at some point he was locked out of the editing room and Tom Cruise took over the final edit. Ew. This is where I go, okay. <laughs> Some things make a little more sense now. It's, I don't know, it's, you know what? It's a shitty movie. It, it is. It absolutely is. But I think at, at the end of the day, what he came up with was a big magnum opus that was not what the studio wanted. And Cruz, as head producer, took over to get it finally done. Mm -hmm. And the final product we ended up with is is just bad all around. And I don't even blame Tom Cruise for taking over that final edit, but I think the blame goes to everybody here. I I don't disagree. It's just ugh. yeah, that's that's what it is. It's a ugh. but and it's also just like damn, like that sucks because I don't think John Woo has bad things to say about this movie or the process. I think he's just like it just ended up the way it ended up. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that's just the way it is. Who could have been better? Oliver Stone was attached to direct Mission Impossible 2 after after the first movie. Mm -hmm. What do you think about Oliver Stone? They weren't going to get their PG-13 either. Fuck, no, they weren't. If only because that guy likes to put fuck in his movies way too often. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, he actually wrote a treatment, but uh, wound up backing out because of Cruz's lengthy stint on Eyes Wide Shut. Fair. He, had, he was like, I got to do other stuff. No. All right. Our cast. We have Tom Cruise playing Ethan Hunt. How do we feel about Tom Cruise's performance in this film? It's not good. He feels completely checked out from this movie. I, I, and there's about eight reasons for why that could be. I don't even care. It just, like, his hair is great. Like, this is some of his best hair. Like, the shag was great on him. Like, he really, that was great for him. He took that Eyes Wide Shut haircut and just made it work. He didn't have his hair as much yet. No. He took his magnolia hair and made it work. There you go. He he kept it for a while. This is like divorce hair. It's like, I'm single now, bitches. I got the power of Xenu. Great. He looks cool, but his acting is just so blah. You know, his best scene is that first scene when he's supposed to be somebody else playing Ethan. Because he's got that schmucky attitude. And that's where the Tom Cruise charisma thing is turned on. And it's fun. The rest of it is just like, meh. Because that was so cool about the first movie is you've got the schmucky charisma mixed in with this like complete paranoia. Sure. And and he plays both of those so well. Yeah. But you get only the one note of him in this. And then everything else is just like, I'm the coolest person in the room. It's like, no, you're not, man. It's that Bruce Lee thing. It's like, you're not Bruce Lee. Mm -mm. No, no shade to Tom Cruise. I love Tom Cruise. I love yeah. his movies. That is not his strong suit. His strong suit is intensity yeah. and focus. Like, they just, he plays completely against type. And I feel like it was a decision he made and it just doesn't work. It's just bad. Ugh. Cruz again took a profit share on this film because he was the main producer. So a good chunk of the schedule overruns from Eyes Wide Shut were paid out of his pocket. Worked out okay for him. He took away $75 million in profits, royalties, and merchandise from the production. Yeah, he's he's fine. He made out like a fucking bandit. Yes, he did. It's the smartest decision he ever made was opening up that production company. It's one of the smartest decisions he made. 
he was the subject of some tabloid exploitation at the time. There were rumors that he was being high maintenance after sending out a memo to the extras and small players, telling them not to look him in the eye. <gasps> no, they, the might, f- they might steal his power. The fact was that when they were shooting the horse racing sequence, several dailies showed that the shots had been completely ruined when Starstruck extras actually pointed and looked at Tom Cruise during the shot. Yeah, that's not great. So like, it wasn't just Tom. The whole production went like, hey, you can't do that. If you do that, we can't film the movie, (laughs) which means we can't pay you the monies. And that means bye-bye. That's one of those times where I'm like, you know, I could believe that about Tom Cruise, but I also appreciate that that was just more about like, no, they just messed up the shot when they did it too often. You can't do that. It's like the ladies showing up in boats and Roadhouse to go try to hang out with Patrick Swayze. That's amazing. <laughs> completely different thing because that is awesome. Cruz lied to the insurance agent saying he let the crew handle the major action scenes. Of course he did. In fact, he did about 95% of his own stunts. Mm-hmm. This became a bone of contention with him and John Woo. John Woo was incredibly nervous about him doing all these stunts. Mm-hmm. And that's to John Woo's credit. He should be. I think all his movies, he's like, no, stuntman. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. I appreciate that. But Cruz was adamant about doing his own stunts and not cheating. He simply thought when it was too easy to see when an actor was being doubled in a stunt sequence. Like, I have no problem with an actor being like, I want to do my own stunts. I like doing them. I want to do them. That's fine. But part of the deal is you're the face. That's your job. You're the fucking face. You want to do all the stunts? Become a stuntman. But no, you want to be the fucking face. That's why you get paid so much goddamn money. So guess what? You got to take your lit. You, you got you to take some concessions. They'll let you do things to a point, And then you got to bow out and let you let your number two, who's awesome at their job, do their job yeah the only reason he gets to do this is because he bankrolls the movie (laughs) and we've seen on later films how that has fucked up production yeah he basically shattered his foot on one movie yeah which is like again i know it's his choice but that fucks up production it does it's just when when you're the guy bankrolling you get to you get to do that i guess Wu was always concerned for all of his actors and also happens to be afraid of heights But he did speak to and admired Tom's courage for wanting to continue through the stunts. He's like, okay, man. (laughs) I don't like it. I wouldn't do it, but you're an idiot. So So there you go. And I will say, this is kind of fun. It was Tom Cruise's idea to catch Naya's eyes across the room during the flamenco dance. He said he always wanted to perform a basic boy meets girl sequence. I mean, it's a cute sequence. Like, I won't begrudge that. I, th- I like the fact that he's like, I never really got to do this, so I want to do it. It's fair. He he had a very, like, his rise went very meteoric, so he didn't do some of that teen basic shit. Yeah, I was just like, that's fun. All right, we move on to Dougray Scott as Sean Ambrose. Mm. Before this, he was in lots of UK television, another nine and a half weeks, Deep Impact, and Ever After, A Cinderella Story. Ooh, he's so cute. After this, he was in Enigma, Ripley's Game, Darkwater, Desperate Housewives, Hitman, There Be Dragons, Hemlock Grove on television, Taken 3, 
the Vatican tapes, and recently Batwoman on television. Hmm. What do we think of Dugray Scott? He's right. Fully committed, True. unlike a lot of people in this movie. This movie is just very uneven. It is. So, But I'll give him credit. Whenever he shows up, I believe he's still in his character. I hate his character. Yeah, but he's not bad. He so. pushed it really far, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame him for anything, though. Uh, all the stuff they did writing his character was just like, ew. ew. Mm. Like, did you really have to? Yeah, probably. Some of the ways he treats women and thinks about Naya is just like, I didn't need to see this in a movie ever. Yeah, but he's the bad guy. So. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Fun fact about Dougray Scott, he was supposed to play Logan Wolverine in 2000's X-Men. But couldn't because this movie went over schedule. I'm good. Then he injured himself in a motorcycle accident. And that's when Hugh Jackman finally replaced him. Good. (laughs) You couldn't see Dougray Scott doing Logan giving, you know, an an award worthy performance in a superhero movie. I don't. It's not even worth talking about. Next up is Tandy Newton as Nia Hall. Before this, she was in Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles, Jefferson in Paris, Gridlocked, and Beloved. After this, The Truth About Charlie, Shade, The Chronicles of Riddick, Crash, The Pursuit of Happiness, Norbit, Rock and Rolla, W, E-R, 2012, For Colored Girls, Tyler Perry's Good Deeds, The Slap, Solo, A Star Wars Story, and of course, recently, Westworld on television. What a waste of Tandy Newton. I mean, okay, so I liked her here. I remember seeing her in this and be like, she's cool. She's good. And then like seeing her in other things and be like, she's great. And then I saw her in W and I was like, she should be embarrassed. This is the worst. This is the worst performance I have ever seen by an actor pretending to be a real person. <laughs> um, her horror. Uh, like, I don't give a shit what your director told. I, no, that, that no. Her performance as Condoleezza Rice is so incredibly bad. Like, it's not even offensive. It is just horrible. It is horrible. I was like, no. Tandy Newton, no. And then you met Maeve. And then she was on, and then I then I heard she was going to be on Westwood. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, okay, it's been whatever. It's okay, cool. And <laughs> she's amazing. Yeah. She's so beyond kick-ass in Westworld, so I forgive her for W. It's okay. Everyone's got one in their, in their, in their list. Yeah, I... I will say, I say, you know, this is a waste of her. I think a lot of things have been a waste of her talent because they've just always gone, oh, she's so pretty. And it's like, yeah, she's also a badass actress. And nobody ever really gave her that to work with. No. And I think that's kind of been her career up until Westworld. But still, I just, this is one of those, this is one of those roles where they just, you could put anybody, you could put a block of wood in and be the same. It's just, which pretty girl are you going to put in this role? That's literally the role. Like, it's the position in the movie. Hot girl of the week. I know. Who cares? Because that's how she's written, and that's how it's performed. It's It does. She was cast on Nicole Kidman's suggestion before the script was written. Mm-hmm. So. That's nice. She had worked with her back in the earliness. Okay. Due to scheduling issues, Tandy Newton had to drop out of Charlie's Angels because of this movie. Oh, okay. Losing roles! Common theme from this film. Mm. She opted not to return for Mission Impossible 3 to focus being with her family. If she had, Naya likely would have become a staple of the IMF team. Mm. I'm kind of glad she did. I, I am too. I, I will say, without 
giving away anything for our next movie discussion, I foresee a role where she could have worked really well. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a there's a position where she could have been it could have been an easy exit for her or she could have continued. There's a, like there's actually a couple of positions where she could have continued in the world easily. Absolutely. But her choice. That's fine. Her choice. They made it work. She wasn't used to driving on the right side of the road. So a stunt coordinator had to sit in the passenger seat with access to the parking brake to allow the smoother driving stunt sequences that she had to perform. I always love stuff like that. It makes me laugh. <laughs> that car scene, of course, in the chase around the mm-hmm. uh, the way was a pretty obvious nod to Goldeneye. Yes. Yes. It's cute. Ving Rhames as Luther Strickle. He's going to return for all of these movies. How do we feel about Luther in this movie? He's wasted. He is, though he also provides us some of the only levity we get in the movie. He's the only levity. He's also the only continuity from the previous film in terms of like supporting cast, which is fine. Like I don't, with these types of movies, you don't have to have everybody come back all the time. That's fine. But you made such a departure with tone. And it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, okay. If you're going to change so much stuff, could you have brought more people back? I think talking about that three and a half hour cut, Mm -hmm. I imagine Luther has a lot more to play in there. I think his character got cut pretty quick in that edit. I think you assume too much. Eh, Maybe. But I also, I I don't want to fault Ving Rhames. I think every time he shows up, it lifts the movie a little bit for me. Mm, Oh, sure. I'm excited to see Luther involved at any point in this movie. Yes, I am pro-Luther. Yes, because otherwise, oh, this movie would be a complete drag. This movie sucks. Shit. Yes, it is. This ain't funny. <laughs> Just bought these $800 Gucci shoes. And you got me in a helicopter with this man? We have Richard Roxburgh as Hugh Stamp, the blonde villain dude. Blonde villain dude. That's uh, his official name. <laughs> Before this, he was mostly in Australian movies and television. Mm-hmm. Then he shows up in Children of the Revolution, The Wedding Party, and Oscar and Lucinda. After this, he is the Duke in Moulin Rouge. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Van Helsing, Stealth, Fragile, Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. He probably has his biggest claim to fame in the Australian television series Rake, which was remade in the US. Okay. Sanctum, Hacksaw Ridge, and most recently, Catherine the Great on Hulu. Oh, okay. It's actually, that's a fabulous series. What do we think of Australian Richard Roxburgh playing a South African villain? Hey, he's fine. I mean, he's he's the henchman. He's a bruiser. He's yeah, he's the henchman, and I'm fine with that. He's a little overwrought. If Dugray Scott's character hadn't been so menacing, mm-hmm. him being menacing would have played a lot better. Maybe like this guy. Remember with Quantum of Solace, where we have sort of the feckless Steve Jobsy type villain. Putting uh, this guy next to that makes a lot more sense to me. Yes, I, I don't know. I just don't know why we need two completely evil dudes next to each other. Because they're so pretty. Okay. Finally, Brendan Gleeson as McCloy. Before this, he's in Far and Away, Braveheart, Michael Collins, and Lake Placid. Mm. After this, The Tailor of Panama, AI, 28 Days Later, Gang of New York, Dark Blue, Cold Mountain, The Village, Kingdom of Heaven, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and all of the Harry Potter films. After that... Beowulf, In Bruges, The Secret of Kells, Green Zone, The Raven, Albert Knobs, The Pirate's Band of Misfits, The Smurfs 2. 
Edge of Tomorrow, Calvary, In the Heart of the Sea, Suffragette, Live by Night, Assassin's Creed. He's going to be in Joel Cohen's version of Macbeth as King Duncan. <laughs> and Donald Trump in a Showtime TV event called The Comey Rule. What do we think of Brennan Gleeson in this movie? He's in it for two minutes. I know. And, which is also a shame because he's a, I, I like him a lot. This is a subplot I could have used more of. Agreed. This is one of those things where we had way too much of that romance story and not enough of this. And if you kind of evened it out, both of those would this, have been better. This should have been more of the driving factor motivation. This should have been way more of the plot. And it's not. And it's annoying. Because this guy's fucking evil too. Yeah. and But in a different way. Yeah, and we we get more of this type of guy. So so they took him. Like he's proto the the bad guy in number three. Like we'll talk about it when we get to number three. But he is very much an archetype for a future villain whom I adore. Thinking about number three, that movie uh-huh. basically took this movie and said, "We're gonna fix it, damn it!" and streamlined it all together. There's yeah. a lot about that movie that's making me think, "Oh wow." And just a spoiler alert, we're very pro number three. Well, yeah. We really like number three. It was really good. We really enjoyed We saw that one in the theater together. We'll get there, but yes, we did. And we enjoyed it thoroughly. All right, moving on to our pawns. We have John Poulsen playing Billy Baird. This is a giant, super Australian actor dude who went on a TV directing. He's an exec producer on Without a Trace and Elementary. Okay. But who could have been better? We could have had Steve fucking Zahn. My yes. face is making the what face? Steve Zahn and Ving Rhames with Tom Cruise. I want Steve Zahn all the time, all the ways. Come on. Steve Zahn. How did we miss out on this? Steve Zahn. Instantly. This movie gets like half a point better for me if you put Steve Zahn in that role. Everything's better with a little Steve Zahn. Jesus. Gee, I'm very much more angry about this movie now. Yeah, I know. I hate no. it. I hate it a whole movie point more now because of the omission of Steve Zahn. Rade Serbedja as Dr. Nikorvich. He was in Eyes Wide Shut as well, along with Snatch and Batman Begins. We have William Mapother as Wallace. It's the cruise cousin. We have William Mapother as Wallace. It's the Cruise cousin. Hmm. He's actually in a shit ton of Tom Cruise movies before this. Yeah, he is. Because he shows up in all of them. But he has made a good go of it on his own, specifically the role of Ethan Rom on Lost. Yep. It's a nice featured role there. Plays a nice techie bad guy. We have Dominic Purcell playing Ulrich, one of the bruisers on the crew. This is the lead as Lincoln Burroughs on Prison Break. Okay. That guy. Nicholas Bell playing McCloy's accountant. He was in Shine and Dark City. We have Antonio Vargas playing Señor de la Reina. This is the guy who's holding the party that they are stealing gems from at the beginning of the movie. Okay. He is Rico from Strictly Ballroom, and he also choreographed the entire flamenco sequence. Nice. We have Anthony Hopkins as Mission Commander Swanbeck. What would he do? God. <laughs> I can't believe that they put him in this movie for this short amount of time. I mean, I'm glad he got the paycheck, but Jesus. He has the dubious distinction of being the first person in any Mission Impossible property to speak the phrase, Mission Impossible. True. <laughs> I don't think I can get her to do it. You mean it'll be difficult? Very. Well, this is not Mission Difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's Mission Impossible. 
difficult to be a walk in the park for you. And who could have been better? This was offered to Sir Ian McKellen. Hmm. He would have been cheekier. He had a prior theater engagement in London, and they opted to go with Hopkins instead. McKellen's agent was stunned by that decision because of what a big deal the movie was. I get it. But the overruns and scheduling would have prevented him from playing both Gandalf and Magneto. He made the right choice. Yeah. And finally, as a train driver, another one of the Chris Morris comedy crew, Patrick Marber, the writer of the play and film Closer and Notes on a Scandal, but also co-creator of the Alan Partridge series with Steve Coogan. Okay. He's in this movie for some reason. I don't. That doesn't. I don't understand. Next up, you're going to tell me Steve Coogan's going to be in a Mission Impossible movie somewhere as an extra. Or Ar- or Armando. It's Ian true. Ian just going to be randomly in one of them. That's true. Like, all of them are going to show up at some point. I hope so. <sighs> Trivia. Tom Cruise performed the rock climb himself at Dead Horse Point in Utah on cables, which they then digitally removed. Of course. Wu was terrified of him getting injured, but Cruz insisted on performing the stunt because of course he did. I'm, yeah, but see, like, I'm fine, but see, that's one of those stunts that's done with the appropriate safety precautions, so I'm fine with that. That's, like, I don't even, I almost don't even consider that a stunt. Even lying to insurance, you're like, I can't get away with that. I mean, it's still a stunt because you're way the fuck up there, and if a rope breaks, you're done, but still. Uh, This is the first and maybe only movie for which Metallica has agreed to write a song. It's not good. It's that period of Metallica that was really bad. That song leaking to Napster, though, was the impetus for the infamous Metallica versus Napster case. Jesus. Yeah. Imagine that song. That song. That's that's the one. Uh-huh. That's it. So sad. Sean Ambrose's waterfront house in Sydney was not an actual house. It was a polystyrene structure built on a beachhead in Sydney and demolished after the shoot. I'm impressed. It looked pretty good. Tom Cruise rode the motorcycle through the fire in the final sequence without the use of protective gear or fire gel. God. What's wrong with him? He's he's trying to prove himself to Zeno. I don't know. <sighs> it's so bad. It's so bad. That story tells me so much. I'm like, Tom, stop it. Just wear, if you're going to do it, at least wear the proper gear. No, just no. I hate him. The opening plane crash was supposed to cut immediately into the fuse being lit with a repeat of the credit sequence, but apparently Tom didn't think it was quite exciting enough, so he decided to add the rock climbing sequence. Okay, I like the rock climbing sequence. Put it after the opening credits! Yes. What the fuck? Oh, well, I do like the way he throws the glasses and they explode. The sunglasses are cool and exploding, I guess, but I just mean, imagine the punctuation after that opening plane crash to fuse. Like, I I get it. Tom Cruise shouldn't edit movies. No. 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 Gotta give the guy props. He's a good producer. He's made a score of movies that he's produced besides these that are great movies. But he should not be in the editing room. That is not his strong suit. For the knife in the eye sequence on the beach, Cruise demanded that an actual knife be used for the scene and that it stop one quarter an inch from his actual eye instead of vaguely near his eye. That scene that we see is an actual knife that close to his eye. He's a moron. It was connected to a cable measured carefully to achieve the effect safely. No. 
And then Cruz insisted that DeGray Scott use his entire strength in that struggle. God damn. <laughs> no. He has a death wish. No. I'm mad at you, Tom Cruise, for a variety of reasons, but this is just being stupid. <laughs> You're a dumbass. It doesn't look any better or different. <sighs> so that gives us two ratings. <laughs> I don't even want to bother. Uh, of course, every movie we have has its own rating system. And for this one, what kind of rating system are we going to give it? It can't be a pile of poop. No, it's going to be um, Oakley sunglasses because that was really good product placement and a very cool effect. I, d I thought that was very clever. I That was like one of the few things I liked about the movie. There's a lot of clever moments. You don't want to go for doves? Fuck the doves. <laughs> Fuck the goddamn doves. I love you, John Woo, but doves were so unnecessary in this movie. <laughs> No, you couldn't have, like, just passed by a church and let the doves go. He does it five times. God. One time. One time is what you get, John Woo. Get one handful of doves. One. Because it, it does look cool. When somebody jumps out with two guns in their hands and doves fly out, it looks <laughs> awesome. It just does. Oh, I keep thinking when doves cry. <laughs> That's what I keep singing in my head now. <laughs> I thought about flamenco dancers, but uh, Oakley sunglasses makes sense. Uh, oh, God. I don't even know. It's bad. I am never watching this movie again. Wow. That's fair. I'm giving it a one. It's a one. Because there are very few things I like. I'm just, I just, no. <laughs> I, I have defended it only in an attempt to try and understand what went wrong here. But that being said, I'm going to give it one. And not only is it one, but it's one pair of Oakley sunglasses after they've been exploded. And they're like charred on the ground. Like they're not useful anymore. No. They're not an okay pair of sunglasses. No. So yeah, it's a bad movie. <laughs> it's it's not good. And it, it's made all the worse by the fact that on paper, this has such promise. It does. Jeez. It's got cool people. It's got cool people. It's got talented people. But all around, they just all seem to fuck it up at every turn. It's just not good. And Tom Tom really treated this like just his own little action fantasy summer camp to get over his divorce. <sighs> well, hey, here's the good news. Next movie, fucking rad as hell. We know we like. Because it's Mission Impossible 3. We know we like that one. And I think we're going to have much better things to say. Yes, we will. <laughs> we know we will. And we will. <sighs> Unfortunately, we have the box set, so it's not like we can just throw this away. Fair. But I... I I want to. You're thinking about it. I I am. I really do. I really am. Hey, where's your copy of Mission Impossible 2? We, we lost it. That movie doesn't exist. What are it's, you talking it's about? It's gone. So that's been enough complaining for one day. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.